Welcome back, Brown Girls. Ashanti here, the founder of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics, the one-stop shop podcast for women of color who want to hear and talk about the world of politics. As we continue with our collaboration with She the People, we are highlighting women from their 20 women of color to watch in 2020 list. These are all barrier-breaking women who are changing the political landscape this year and beyond. Meet Tram Wynn. She's the co-executive director of the New Virginia Majority. Her goal in 2020 is for New Virginia Majority to turn non-voters into voters and voters into leaders in their communities. All right. Hi, Tram. How are you today? Hi, I'm doing all right. How are you? You know, hanging in there. That's always just a weird question to ask people during this time. You do have just this amazing story. You have deep roots in your community. When did you discover your love of politics? Getting into this work really started because of my own personal and life experiences, right? Um, My family immigrated to this country in 1981, the second wave of, of boat people from Vietnam. And I was, in fact, born in a refugee camp in Thailand en route to America. And I was six months old when we arrived here. And we chose to settle in Virginia, of all places. And in the 80s here, things were a lot different, right? I remember in first grade, classmates debating in front of me whether I was black or whether I was white because people that looked like me, right, was not something that they were accustomed to and they needed to put me in a box. And so throughout my life, just growing up and knowing that I was so different and really experiencing prejudice and racism in ways that like no one around me knew how to explain to me. Whenever I asked my teachers or my parents to help like help me navigate this, uh, the response that I always got was, don't worry about it. Study hard, you succeed, get straight A's, you're going to be fine in life. I don't think that is the right message that we should be sending to people, right? To people who look like me, who look like us. If you look at the demographic changes in Virginia from the 80s until today, when, you know, starting 40 years ago, only one in 100 Virginians was foreign born. And you fast forward to today, and that's one in seven. There's no reason that I or anybody like me should keep our head down. In fact, it's important and imperative that we lift up our own voices and use our voice and our power to make change, right? To, to make sure that there is equal opportunity and equitable solutions for all of us. So I think like it was, it was rooted then and then growing up, I, I went to uh, New York for college and was there during 9-11 and saw how the the scapegoating of an entire community of the Muslim community and being blamed for what was, um, you know, a horrific and terrible terrorist attack, but it, it just the, the environment, right, that it created and manifested. And I just, all of these inequities that I saw all up around me got me into, I would say, like the advocacy space. There's only so much we can do in terms of direct action and advocating that if we didn't have political power, right, and we didn't exercise our political power, then we weren't going to make a whole lot of difference. And so the, the convergence of politics, elections, and advocacy all just became natural. Um, and, that's, and that's how I got into this work. 
I love it. And just from your background, so much work that you do is rooted in helping other people. You did things post 9-11. You did things during Hurricane Katrina. I just, from researching you, whenever there's help, it's like there's tram for like to help people out. And so given everything that's going on right now with COVID, you talked about how the Muslim community was ostracized. We're actually seeing how our AAPI community now is dealing with all of this hatred, which really upsets me. I had a colleague, she just moved into her new town and she was out to lunch with her husband. And she said someone literally asked the waiter not to sit them next to them because they didn't want to get the coronavirus. And she just started crying on the call. And it like hurt me that I couldn't hug her and comfort her. What are some of the ways that we can stand with a AAPI community during this time? That's a great question, and it's so it's so tangible and so real for so many folks. Um, my cousin, for example, is a speech therapist for um, for young kids, and she'd been seeing this one child for a long time. And the, in the midst of this um, in the midst of this crisis, that the child asked her, "Are you Chinese?" My parents want to know. You know, in her mind, it's like you know me, and you know. Like we're, we've been in this relationship for so long, and suddenly with this crisis, it's like I'm maybe suddenly not good enough, or I shouldn't be around you all because of potentially a Chinese background, and it's 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 horrifying. And I think, you know, there's this whole what gets me about um, where we are right now, and there are lots of folks even within the API community that are saying, you know, now is the time for us to to show America that we aren't um, we aren't a threat, and we need to embrace and and wrap ourselves in red, white, and blue. And like, and it's to me that's such a performance. Like, why do I have to perform and show? my Americanness, I think it's whatever we can do to stand in solidarity with each other as black and brown people to fight the racism and to push back as much as possible and stand in solidarity. I think that's what we mean versus lifting up this expectation that Asians are a model minority, are the quiet folks, are, you know, it's, that's not, that's not how we get out of this. And that's not how we get out of this together. So it's just standing in solidarity, I think, and, and showing that, you know, we're, we're not going to, to allow folk to, to treat uh, people differently. I know and I understand that a lot of it is operating out of fear, but in our darkest hours, you know, the choice that we can make between operating out of fear or operating out of love, and I think we need to all operate out of love at this point. I agree with you on that. It's just all the time when these situations arise, it's always, oh, put on the black and brown people for us to have to show people our humanity. And that is not the way that it should be at all. But I'm um, keeping you know, on this topic, on your profile, you actually said one of the books that you're reading is How to Fight White Supremacy. So tell us about that book, because when I saw that, I was like, I'm intrigued. Do I need to download this on Audible? I'm going to ask Tram. I picked it. I, I really want to dig into it because I, I, I think its premise is that a lot of this starts at the grassroots level and a lot of it starts with human to human connection. 
Um, it actually features one of our, he, he now works for us, um, one of our community organizers, Christopher Rashad Green, who came into my world and came into our world um, in 2016 after the governor, Governor McAuliffe, restored his right to vote. I got this email out of the blue on a summer day from this man named Christopher and who just, like, you could hear his emotion through the email. He was so excited. Static. He thanked me for helping him get his rights restored. I'm like, I don't know who this person is. And he showed, he took a picture and showed his order and everything. And so he just started volunteering, volunteering with us. And now he's a lead community organizer working with returning citizens and has built up this entire, this entire chapter of, of folks who have who've been formerly incarcerated for fighting back against the system and really changing hearts and minds, right? To the point where at least in at least here, you know, the criminal justice reform conversation is now front and center in ways that it never had been before, where our state attorney general is embracing it and being, I think, super progressive. And it's because Christopher and the folks that he works with on the ground at the gr grassroots level has been, they've been able to change hearts and minds and, sh you know, and said, um, and lifted up this, this veil around like, what, what is that, what is our problem here, right? And at the root cause of our criminal justice system is white supremacy. And I think that's why I'm so fascinated. And, I, and again, it's on my list. I'm hoping that this next two months of stay at home that we have um, will give me the ample time to really dig in. But that's that's why it's on my list because I, I feel like the authors have really lifted up tangible real life examples from the ground to, to really tell the story. And I just love that. I love those personal stories and, and, and you know the things that you can really just start to imagine and wrap your, your arms around. Small dollar donors are transformative. I've seen it firsthand working on campaigns, big and small, across the country. AdBlue is a nonprofit organization dedicated specifically to empowering small dollar donors. This election cycle, small dollar donors are on track to give $4 billion via AdBlue, with an average contribution size of about $30. AdBlue is a fundraising platform and nonprofit organization that makes it easy to give. They help thousands of Democratic campaigns, progressive organizations, and nonprofits build people-powered movements. Small-dollar donors are more powerful than any mega-donor. If you're a candidate or organization ready to build your grassroots fundraising program, go to actbluesetup.com. Actblue's sponsorship of the Brown Girls Guide does not imply support for any candidate or committee. If you need a dose of creative inspiration, I recommend listening to Social Distance Assistance. It's a podcast about we can help each other when we can't be near each other. Hosted by Kelly Jones and her eight-year-old daughter, June. One of those helpers is Dr. Lisa Woolfork, a UVA English professor and the host of Stitch Please, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, a sewing group where Black Lives Matter. Kelly and June asked Lisa about the effectiveness of individuals making masks in response to the coronavirus. Her answers may surprise you. I just feel like there's so much unpreparedness at the federal, state, global levels. 
and to tell individual sewists, individual people, usually individual women, that your sewing machine is the thing that stands between us and disaster is a very problematic burden to place on people. They talk to helpers from all over. To subscribe, search for Social Distance Assistance in your podcast player of choice. And you talked about how Virginia is changing and your work has really helped with that with New Virginia Majority. So tell us about the work that you all are doing across the Commonwealth of Virginia. Yeah, so New Virginia Majority is, I feel like my like my baby. We started in 2007 and the 2008 elections was our first, was our first dabble in terms of connecting electoral organizing with the base building and community organizing that is so important to, to movement building. And for the last 12 years, we have slowly but surely really transformed the political landscape in, in Virginia. In 2008, when Virginia went blue um, for the first time in, in decades, a lot of folks were like, oh, well, that's part of the Obama wave, right? And, and of course, like, it, it, it was inevitable that it was going to happen because of the changing demographics. And I've always contended that, you know, demographics isn't destiny. And of course, you know, 2008 was this tremendous wave across the nation with a, with such a charismatic candidate and leader in Barack Obama that did create a, a, a sea change, right? But to keep that momentum going, you can't give up and you can't just Say that okay. Well, we won that, and now we're done. Because when we're talking about systemic change and we're talking about race equity and social justice, the work continues, right? Even when we have allies and friends elected into office, the accountability work is even more important. Then, yeah, over the last ten to twelve years, we have just been, you know, pounding pavement, going out into community, knocking on doors, doing one-on-one -on -one conversations, and having house meetings with people. Um, to talk about why it's so important for them to be politically engaged. Um, we've knocked on over 3 million doors. We've registered nearly 300,000 voters of color. We've, um, you know, won things like the rights restoration and Medicaid expansion. And then this past General Assembly session that just seems like a lifetime ago, but it really just ended a couple weeks ago, um, you know, we have the most progressive budget in Virginia's history. We have the most progressive uh, legislative package that's ever passed um, in Virginia's yeah. history from criminal justice reform, raising the minimum wage, expanding democracy in ways that I just dreamed of. And it's really, it's, it's a good feeling. Um, and, and yet here we are stuck in our homes and not able to really celebrate that, right? And to get the word out that things are changing here in Virginia and, and really the word out to the people in communities that are directly impacted to let them know, right? And show them that, look, you actually did this. You made the difference. Yes, I went to the Virginia Democratic Party dinner and it was just so nice to see a woman speaker and for her to say, these are just a few other things that we have passed. And it was just all things that were, like you said, just great for democracy, great for everyday people. And for me, I'm like, this is what happens when you elect people who really care about the issues, who are close to the issues, who are going to get the work done. 
it's just so fabulous to just live in Virginia during this time because that's where I live in Virginia. I don't think our listeners know that. That's actually <laughs> where I live. But 2020, another important year. What's on the horizon for you all and what are ways we can support your work? Well, 2020, this year, oof, I think we all went into the, this year saying this is the election of our lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is absolutely true. And now in this current moment, it like what's at stake couldn't be more true, right? Like in terms of how we all come out of this current crisis and the leadership that is going to be in place as we rebuild um, as a country when we come out of this crisis is going to matter so much, right? Who are, who, Who's going to be at the table? Who who these leaders are going to center in terms of their solutions that they put forward to really rebuild America? Because there's so much at stake. Lives are at stake. Livelihoods are at stake. And it's so hard because the landscape has shifted so much. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in terms of even how do we ensure that every vote and every voice is actually going to get counted, right? That there's even an opportunity for people to cast a ballot. Um, What is that going to look like? Um, We're seeing how that shakes out right now in other states that have primaries that are are currently, you know, happening. And I think this is this year, not only for the presidential election, but for our democracy, um, our democracy as we know it, all of that's at stake. And I think that for those of us who have, who are fortunate enough and have the opportunity to sort of think bigger around like what, what does our democracy really need to look like and what does that system need to really look like in order to make sure that every voice matters and every voice has that equal opportunity. Um, I think now is the time to really start thinking creatively and, and not just keep chipping away, right? But like let's start mm-hmm. thinking creatively around what that overhaul needs to look like on the, on the back end of all of this. So, you know, we, we, we think there's a lot at stake. We will do everything we can to make sure that Virginians are um, making our voice heard this year. Um, and especially as we go not only into this year, but next year um, in 2021, Virginia has a really critical cycle as well when we're electing our next governor. Um, okay. And I just, in my heart, believe and hope that we will have a woman of color, you know, and, and I'm excited to, to be a part of that history making. Um, so 2020 and 2021, the next two years, uh, you know, I'm all in. Uh, yes, I'm really excited for 2021 just to see all these phenomenal women of color who are going to run statewide. Just yes. So speaking of phenomenal women of color, you were asked to name a plus one and you picked Jennifer Granado. Why did you pick Jennifer? She is, she is the backbone of, of the work that we do here. Um, she came to us, I met her when she was 14 years old. Um, and when I first started at New Virginia Majority, um, she was one of our youth uh, she was one of the youth leaders um, at a local organization, and she just had this tenacity around her that you you can't recreate in anybody, right? And she, at the age of 14, 15, 16, she was knocking on doors 
with us. She was registering voters. I remember writing her recommendation letter for college. You know, she came back to us after college. You know, oftentimes in this movement work, we hear and see voices like ours, right, who have a microphone, who have a platform, get invited to these meetings and conferences and speaking opportunities, but we never have the opportunity to hear and see the people behind the scenes that really make it happen, right? Um, that take care of all the logistics and all the admin work who, who make, sh- like they just make sure the ship is continuing to sail. And, and Jennifer, Jennifer is that person. I think if you asked anybody from our board to our staff, to our volunteers and community members, if Jennifer, I mean, it's, everything goes back to Jennifer. And so I just wanted to really um, publicly acknowledge her and thank her because without her, I don't think any of our successes at New Virginia Majority would have been possible. Oh, that's just so sweet and beautiful. Gratitude for you, Jennifer, for being the glue, the backbone. We all need those people. Okay, Tram, I love this conversation, and I'm going to go into our final question that we ask all of our guests. What advice do you have for all the brown girls listening saying, I want to be just like her? Do it. Do it. Listen listen to your inner voice. I go, again, you know, that six-year-old girl in me that was always so confused and didn't have folks around me to, to encourage me to use my voice. I mean, for a while, my, my teachers used to call me a shy girl. And it wasn't because I was shy, it was because I was conditioned, right, to not use my voice and to not ask questions. And so to all the little girls out there, use your voice, find it, and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to ask the hard questions and seek the answers and keep your head up. Keep your head up because we need you. Oh, thank you, Tram. This has been such an inspirational interview. Thank you so much for your time and for all that you do. Thank you so much to all of our listeners who took the time to rate and review us. Here's one of the great reviews we have received called Good Stuff. This show is engaging and interesting and worth listening to. It has a tone that I really like and value. People sharing their stories and their perspectives, not throwing barbs at anyone. I have let go of political shows that rile me up without fail. There are some truths that can challenge us that are difficult that we need to listen to. And then there are people who just want to stir up anger without any underlying point to make. I'm listening to discern the difference. This is a good show. Thank you for your contribution to a healthy conversation. If you have a quick minute, please rate and review us on any podcast platform. We really appreciate it. Stay up to date with us on the BGG website, www.thebgguide.com, and on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at The BG Guide. The BGG Podcast is produced by Wonder Media Network. You can find them on Instagram at WMN.media and on Twitter at WMN Media. Until next time, brown girls.